Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Sitting next to me is a lesser-known reindeer, Chad. Chad, why is it that you have been silenced by Santa Claus and his terrorizing posse? You know, it's because uh, Rudy, a.k.a. Rudolph, uh, he he monopolized the mm. game in oh. terms of... Uh, in, in, he monopolized these reindeer games. Man. It's, it's unfortunate, honestly. There are a lot of songs that are saying about me, and everyone seems to forget me. Mm. You That's know? unfortunate. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that, Chad. Yeah, you know, me too. Hopefully uh, this year or maybe next year, we can remember uh, the story of Chad. Yeah, I agree. And my red antlers. Oh, yeah. They don't glow like someone's nose. But, you know, they're red, so that counts. They stand out. Yeah, they count for sure. That's what my mom says. <laughs> <laughs> Well, friends, we will be taking the next two weeks off, but we may just like pop in a fun little bonus episode, so do not fret. If you're not following us on social media, then you are seriously missing out, so make sure you get on that and give us a follow on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those handles are in the show notes, and we are really active on those pages, so, uh, you know, say hi. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your family, share with a reindeer. Yeah. On another note, happy holidays to everyone. No matter what you're celebrating, we hope with all of our hearts that you are safe this holiday season. We know it's a tough one for many who have lost loved ones recently. So we are uh, just shouting out to you guys. We're grateful and thankful that you tune in, you listen, and you learn a little bit about the history of women. Yeah. For today's history lesson, we are going to be talking about the Italian Baroque painter Artemisia Gentileschi. I do need to give a trigger warning around sexual violence for this episode. We will briefly be going into some detail about an experience that greatly impacted our heroine, Artemisia. Well, goodness. I am. uh, Thank you for that warning. I appreciate it. Little warning. Um, I do love uh, the Baroque period, ah. so uh, I am interested in learning about her today. Mm. Well, let's hop right in. Quote, I will show your illustrious lordship what a woman can do. Artemisia Gentileschi was born on July 8, 1593 in Rome, Italy. Eldest of five children and the only daughter of fresco painter Orazio Gentileschi. When her mother, Prudentia di Montone, died in childbirth, Artemisia was just 12. Orazio saw Artemisia's talents early on, even noting that she had more skill than his sons. Gasp. <laughs> he wrote to the Grand Duchess of Tuscany in 1612, saying, quote, She has in three years become so skilled that I can venture to say that today she has no peer. Wow. I know. Artemisia served as his apprentice in her father's studio. She was unable to visit many of the churches and public buildings where the works of her contemporaries had been commissioned. Her childhood was sheltered, spending most of her time in the walls of the family home. Rome's streets at the time were unsafe and not considered appropriate for her to be out and about by herself. 
She had no academic education and was functionally illiterate until her 20s, when it is assumed that she had the opportunity to learn to read and write as we have a lot of letters from her, uh, which is really cool that we have actual, like, quotes from her. From so long ago, yeah, too. Yeah. Wow. A lot of documents arrive. Mm-hmm. A question that remains unanswered is in consideration to her father. Was he a progressive man who saw his daughter's talents and wanted her to explore them? Did he see dollar signs? And was this a way for her to be able to pay her own dowry? And I'm unsure either way, but it seems as though Artemisia was able to find an option outside of the norm for a young woman at the time. Artemisia's earliest signed and dated painting, Susanna and the Elders, done in 1610, was done when she was just 17 years old. I, You know, that makes me feel like I think he just saw the potential uh, and the greatness that she was going to um, uh, bring forth with her work. Mm. Uh, just because I can't imagine someone being that ambitious monetarily back then in terms of something... <laughs> Uh, well, you'd be surprised in terms of, um, I mean, that's like such, I feel like that's taking such a gamble putting your, well, I don't know. Here's the thing. Yeah. So basically at this time, unmarried women. So like if you had a bunch of kids, uh, especially if you had a bunch of daughters or something like that, um, you, and you could only afford to pay a dowry for one of your daughters to be married off. They were basically just sent to the nunneries. They were basically women's prisons for um, unmarried women. I see where uh, you're going with this. Where they were allowed to study painting and all these things. And so instead of sending her to that, he kept her. Right. It, it, it's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. just a lot of things that we that. don't know, though, because he is very supportive. And you'll hear um, in a moment uh, another really uh, big situation um but it's really quite interesting that 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 was something she was able to to kind of just uh blend in and a little bit ride her dad's not ride her dad's coattails but just kind of blend in behind them right so that nobody really noticed until she was really really good and then they all wanted her work you know It's, it's really interesting yeah the subject of Susanna and the elders is related to the book of daniel an extremely popular subject in the 16th and 17th centuries. Susanna, a virtuous, beautiful woman, is bathing in the garden when two nasty men begin to spy on her and literally accost her and demand that she submit to rape. She resists, and then they say that they will ruin her reputation by claiming they had actually caught her with a lover, and society would be like that harlot instead of you monsters. Um, a lot of painters love to use this as their subject, and they most of the time were romanticizing the voyeurism aspect of it. If you look at the paintings done through male hands on this one, the woman is sometimes depicted as like a sultry figure. Sometimes she noticed them and seems calm and is is just kind of not really seeming to care as much about them literally interrupting her bathing, uh, which I think is super gross. Yep. And Artemisia's interpretation is very different. The two men emerge from behind this, like, half-marble wall, like, violently interrupting her. She is twisted away from them, and she raises a hand in their direction and then covers her face with the other. 
This can be interpreted as she not wanting to see the invaders or her not wanting the men to be able to identify her or see her absolute anguish in the situation. Mary Garrard, in a 1989 appraisal in Artemisia Gentileschi, the image of the female hero in Italian Baroque art, said that the painting represents an art historical innovation. It is the first time in which sexual predation is depicted from the point of view of the predated. With this painting and many other works that followed, Artemisia claimed women's resistance of sexual oppression as a legitimate subject of art. Wow. Yeah. I went deep on this one, you guys. How unique. <laughs> I went in because I had never heard of her and on the re oh, we'll get there. I was about to spoil a bunch of I'm stuff. I'm glad you're doing I'm glad we're doing this episode though. <laughs> Before we continue, I want to make sure everyone knows the style of painting we're talking about. Baroque painting encompasses numerous styles. It was popular in the 1600s, the 17th century, and even early into the 18th century. A Baroque painting is full of drama, rich, deep color, intense light, and dark shadows. Where Renaissance art shows the moment just before an event, Baroque artists choose the most dramatic point possible. So Michelangelo's David is composed and still before his battle against Goliath. Bernini's David is in the act of hurling a stone at Goliath. So that's usually a, a major way you can tell, um, like, an action and story difference between Renaissance and Baroque art. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm going to have such a different lens when I look now. I know. Oh. It's cool. It's, it's, uh, it's, these are unique perspectives that mm -hmm. we can't get, obviously, from the artists. Yeah. That we have to get from people who are so... Um, enveloped in this artistic world that yes. they're able to kind of identify and dissect more clearly these things for, for us. layman's yeah. like ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> yeah, for the lay for the layman, the lay person. <laughs> At a certain point, Orazio felt that he had taught her all that he had been taught, and he began to seek other artists to assist in her training. Enter the MDL or most despicable loser of the episode. Agostino Tassi, her father's acquaintance and collaborator. I think we should do an MDL for every, every episode going forward. <laughs> and uh, don't worry about um, trademark infringement and copyright infringement because we already got there. Um, <laughs> Hashtag MDL. Just there. Just got there. So MDL goes to this gentleman right over here. Yep. Loser of the week. Sure is. He also had trademarked. <laughs> He had been leering and interested in Artemisia for some time, and in 1611, he raped her. It was her father's decision to go public with the rape accusation, and an infamous trial ensued. And that's one of the reasons we know this amount of intimate detail, because the trial was recorded in documents that survived. They are housed at the Archivio, at the Archivio di Stato, Stato, trying guys, I don't do a very good Italian thing, uh, in Rome. <laughs> now, in the documents are vivid accounts of her entire ordeal in her own words. That's brutal. 
I'm going to share the less graphic of the details as I feel it is important as we continue on through her artistic career and the lenses through which she is viewed by historians. Okay, so that's our trigger warning after this little blip here. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward like a minute and then it'll be fine. <laughs> she said that he pushed her inside her bedroom and locked the door. Quote, he then threw me onto the edge of the bed, pushing me with the hand on my breast and he put his knee between my thighs to prevent me from closing them. She recalled that he placed a hand over her mouth to keep her from screaming, though she fought back, clawing at his face and hair. In the struggle, she grabbed his penis so roughly that she tore his flesh. When she was finally able to, she grabbed a knife from the table drawer and said, quote, I'd like to kill you with this knife because you have dishonored me. He responded with a taunt. She then hurled the knife at him, quote, he shielded himself, otherwise I would have hurt him and might easily have killed him. 17th century women viewed the body with a very different lens. Consider how important it was to be a virgin in order to marry, be respected, have a job. Even with artists, something that women did was they would sign like so-and-so the virgin of this to say, because that's the only way it was acceptable to paint without like it. it yeah. Screw that it's guy. It's horrible. It's horrible. Elizabeth Cohen said, quote, Artemisia spoke of her body during the trial, but as a material upon which a socially significant offense had been committed. According to the transcript, the outrage was around being dishonored with a ruined future, not necessarily the assault. <sighs> but that's just through which, and that's from Artemisia. Sure, sure. That's just through which, like, things were viewed in that way. And not to say that the latter didn't leave a mark, but it, 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 the importance for her and her family was placed in a different space. And after he raped her, he promised he would marry her. And she said, quote, with this good promise, I felt calmer. Believing this pledge, because now it's, it, it's fine, because he's going to marry her, so she won't be dishonored. She won't be damaged goods. She consented to have sex numerous times after the rape. Grooming and Gaslighting 101. Tassie should teach a course in hell. I'm so disgusted by this man. Oh my god, That's I hate him so much. With a passion. Oh, my heart. That's annoying. As an unmarried accuser, she had to undergo evaluation by a midwife to verify that she was no longer a virgin. And at this time, accusers were also subjected to literal torture to make sure the claims were true. Oh my god. Goodness. Cords were wrapped around the hands and tightened like thumbscrews. She exclaimed, quote, it is true, it is true, it is true. To make matters worse, Slimeball Tassie took to the stand and claimed he didn't even really know the girl and claimed that she was a loose whore, like quite literally. Wow. And that her mother and aunts and every woman in the family were also... This is absurd. Yeah. Now, he did end up being convicted. Thank goodness. And exiled. What? Okay, good. But it's unclear if the sentencing was ever enforced. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to expect between the past and even now the present really lets me down with stuff like this. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, with horrible crimes, mm -hmm. not stuff, horrible crimes mm -hmm. uh, against a human being like this. So, 
I can only just keep rubbing my hand on my head yeah. in angst and mm-hmm. frustration because that's just so gross. Yeah. And I wish we had a little bit more information on this guy's, on, like, what happened to him. Uh, yeah. You know, just, yeah, I, I, pro- I, I, I want yeah. that sort of satisfaction, and, and I hope that the worst happened to him after the sentencing. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can only hope that she was yeah. okay after. Well, after the public trial, Orazio, Artemisia's father, married her off to the first taker to, to get her out of Rome. Like, get her free from there. She married a lackluster Florentine artist named Pierre Antonio di Vincenzo Stiatesi. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm really trying. She left Rome for Florence ASAP in the winter of 1612 and then a little bit into um, 1613 because it's a journey, you know. Um, And we're also not super sure of the exact dates. They stayed together for some time, though we don't know anything about her feelings on the marriage or him, really. In Florence, she had five children from 1613 to 1618. Three died in infancy. Cristofano died before age five. And Prudenza was the only one to survive to adulthood. At least one lived, right? (laughs) That's the other thing of women of this time. The reason they had so many babies is because you had to have like 10 in hopes that two would live. And so women at this time were just baby making factories, just always pregnant, always pregnant, always pregnant. That's why kings would marry such young wives um, because as soon as they, that's when you're most fertile. Yeah, it's really. hate that. This is a terrible time. Hate hate a lot of this. But, you know, it's testament to the time. Right. That's but the only justification. And even Not still, even justified. And even still, because people like Artemisia were able to find, like, option uh, another option. Even though she did, ha- you know, have a handful of kids, it was still, yeah. Audible groan. <laughs> Florence proved to be a time of artistic flourishing. She was able to gain recognition as an independent artist and became the first woman to gain membership to Academia del Arte del Disegno. Disegno. Ah, Camino del Art. <laughs> Which is the um, Academy of the Arts and Drawing in 1615. That's great. Okay. Yeah. She was able to get to know Galileo and poet Michelangelo Buonarroti the Younger the great nephew of the Renaissance master. Uh, I love to think that when she met Galileo and Galileo was like, yo, Oh, he sung her praises. Out. And she was, and then she like wrote back to her family like, you'll never believe what happened. <laughs> this guy really thinks this about science. <laughs> he can't be right. <laughs> Michelangelo the Younger commissioned her to paint part of the ceiling in a gallery dedicated to Michelangelo at the family estate. Her work, Allegory of Inclination, depicts a nude female sitting on the tuft of a cloud. Around the time of her move to Florence, she began to work on her first iteration of Judith Beheading Holofernes, which is now housed in the Capodimonte Museum in Naples. In the painting, maidservant Abra holds Holofernes down while Judith slices his neck. Art curator Lutetia Trevis said... Quote, Artemisia is subverting a well-known traditional subject and empowering the woman in a way that hasn't been done before. Quote, a picture of sisterhood, of these two women doing this extraordinary thing. So a lot of iterations of this have um, <laughs> have Judith 
kind of looking so weak and just kind of confused and frail with a knife like pointing at him as if that was going to be powerful. And sometimes they make him look uh, like a gal, like a gallant victim. I don't know. You, it's very confusing, but the story is what Artemisia is painting. Okay. Where she is beheading him. And so many times in, in the way it's painted, she looks like this waif of nothingness and confusion. And you're like, there's no way that you could stab him. Whereas I showed you this painting. Yeah. And it's it's real. Yeah. I mean, and it's violent. Detail and it's for and sure. that's the other thing is people it was kind of like hidden away for a while because people were like, a woman painted such a gory scene like yeah 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 she did yeah it was messy <laughs> and nice around 1620 artemisia returned to rome after having run up a lot of debts even though she was constantly being commissioned for work research indicated that her husband hadn't been working and was probably spending outside of their means which like boo <laughs> She was actually able to charge what her male contemporaries were for commissioned works, though she had to fight for it, as indicated in letters she sent to various patrons, making sure she would even just be paid, you know, but also paid what she was deserved. Quote, a woman's name raises doubts until her work is seen. Ooh, woo. Mm. I want that on a pillow. <laughs> Upon her return, there doesn't seem to be any indication that her husband was still around, be it he died or they just separated. Who knows? I couldn't really find anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She remained in Rome for the next decade, once again a popular and sought-after painter. In 1630, Artemisia settled in Naples, where she ran a successful studio until her death. In 1639, she visited London to assist her father on a ceiling painting in the Queen's House in Greenwich. Whoa. Now at the Marlborough House in London. And then she quickly returned to Naples. <laughs> she was all over the place. Yeah. She was commissioned by Philip IV of Spain to paint a massive biblical work, The Birth of St. John the Baptist. Oh, I love that she's getting all this re uh, enough recognition to be able to, like, travel. She's so to, famous. <laughs> to, yeah, to these places and, like, get commissioned to do these yeah. projects. Unlike many other artists' work on the same subject, hers shows an intimate knowledge of the birthing room. There is a cluster of midwives with their sleeves rolled up and tending to the infant. Mother Elizabeth is lying absolutely exhausted in a dim background. Like, what a what a beautiful, true, honest depiction of what that space looks like, you know? I love the thought of that, like, um, making, uh, like, that picture or that imagery making people, like, you know, uh, kind of gasp or clutch in their pearls, you or know? See or see it differently where like, you're, like... So visceral yeah. and, like, and the women are just, like, yep. Yeah, yep, this that's is exactly, exactly what, what it is. is. And men are just like, wow, I say, what a piece of art. And you're like, Because mm. so many times this same scene, like, Elizabeth is looking, like, gorgeous and calm and happy and is... is you want to see something real? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> She's in the background, Having a baby. Dead. Look at that. <laughs> we don't know details surrounding her later life though there is a recently discovered document showing she was still living in Naples in August of 1654. It's an overdue tax bill. 
Her death date is unknown, but theorized that she perished in 1656 when the plague swept through Naples, killing around 150,000 people, half of the population. I yeah. I think it's I I'm just I'm slightly humored by that uh by us knowing just like a little bit about um how she was in Naples because of the bill collector. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something very funny that even to this day yep. If you ever, like, if you're running you. away, yeah, dead <laughs> follows you. <laughs> it's the it, earliest sign it, of someone being if indebted. If it could follow you in the 1600s, honey, it can follow you anywhere. We didn't know what happened to her for 20 years, but we knew she owed a bill at one point. <laughs> she forgot to return a book, and they have documents. Artemisia was one of the first women to have a successful career as a painter. During her lifetime, she was celebrated internationally, Though after her death, her legacy was locked away in the back rooms of forgotten galleries collecting dust. Her style of naturalistic painting did go out of fashion, and the 17th century scholars barely even mentioned her, other than a footnote to her father, even though she had an arguably more successful career. (laughs) That's absurd. In the second half of the 20th century, her work began to be recognized. With the inclusion of a half a dozen of her works, including Susanna and the Elders, in a survey, Women Artists, 1550 to 1950. It was curated by art historians Anne Sutherland Harris and Linda Nocklin. It opened in the L.A. County Museum of Art in 1976 and later made its way to the Brooklyn Museum. That's so important. Also, shouts out Brooklyn Museum. Mm -hmm. But it's so important to be able to... um, you know, tap into a time period that people aren't as um, familiar with and then offer interesting insight and new information Mm -hmm. about women whose stories went untold for so long. Yeah, even though people knew so much about her while she was alive, it's crazy. no better time to talk about people of the past than right now in the present. Absolutely. She had previously had works displayed in museums, but had never had them viewed as a group to take in their full power. Ah. Artemisia has since been considered amongst the most important Baroque artists. Why does no one know who she is? A show in 2001 at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, where her work was explored alongside her father's, uh, happened. (laughs) Now there is one of her works at the Met, Esther before Ahasuerus. Now I do have to say, um, I went and asked someone, I, I went yesterday to look at this piece, and I asked the person in the gallery just to see if he knew. He had no idea who I was talking about, and he runs the Baroque section. And I, you know what I mean? If she's regarded now as one of the most important Baroque artists, why is there one painting of hers and also no one knows? Anywho. That's kind of brutal. (laughs) The opening of a show at the National Gallery in London was delayed due to the coronavirus. It will bring together 30 pieces, organized in broad chronological order. Though, I must say, I'm not sure if it actually went up yet. It might have gone up. Um, Mm. I should have checked. I didn't. Um, I didn't look for a more up-to-date. just say they were planned and that, yeah. There are more than 130 works ascribed to her hand, though only half are universally agreed to be hers. Self-portrait as St. Catherine of Alexandria has the subject looking at the viewer with a concentrated gaze wearing a gauzy turban. 
The piece was recently discovered and acquired by the museum in 2018 for roughly $4.5 million. Whoa. It is the 21st work by a female artist to enter the gallery's collection. Now, consider how large the National Gallery of London is, and that's only the 21st piece by a woman, but here we are. The reevaluation of her work is still in full effect. There is a new appreciation of her skill and command of the chiaroscuro, a heightened juxtaposition of light and shadow. The technique is mostly associated with Caravaggio, an acquaintance of Artemisia's father, who famously fled Rome in 1606 after killing a man in a duel. So that's fun. Oh, you know how that goes. <laughs> and the, the piece <laughs> Judith and her maidservant with the head of Holofernes was completed in the 1620s and is now owned by the Detroit Institute of Arts. It is a perfect example of the technique. The subject is illuminated mid-action by lamplight. The background are examples of perfect still life painted. You can feel you 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 feel like you can reach out and grab the brass candlesticks and luxuriate in the draped velvet curtain. Ooh, mm-hmm. That details. It's incredible. Beautiful. You you it looks like it's velvet. I don't understand. Letitia Trevin said, quote, In Artemisia's lifetime, she had a kind of pan-European celebrity that places her on a level with later artists such as Rubens or Van Dyck. That is how popular and famous she was. You know what I mean? And then now we've got all of these random Baroque painters that nobody even knew about in their time, and they have more in the galleries than the most famous at the time? Yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. That's... What is that gatekeeping? Mm-mm. Letizia Trevis says she does not want to overstate Artemisia's place in the Baroque pantheon, saying that there weren't any Artemisia followers, though I can't help but point out that that is probably due to the fact that she's a woman and not because she's not important. So I would warn not to underestimate her place in the Baroque pantheon, because what male artist at that time is going to claim to be a follower of Artemisia's work? Yeah, right. They're not going to. Mm. They're going to give the credit to her father. That's so dumb. They're going to give the credit to Caravaggio. They're going to give the credit to somebody else that they know will bring them respect, not more questions. It's the wrong attitude to have, clearly. Artemisia has inspired numerous fictional reimaginings. In 1947, Anna the pen name of Italian novelist and critic Lucia, Lucia, probably, Mm -hmm. Lucia Lopresti, wrote a protagonist inspired by the painter. Ooh. Susan Sontag, in 2004, said Banti's protagonist is, quote, liberated by disgrace. There was a 1997 film by French director Agnes Merlet that was inspired by her life, though she makes the suggestion that Tassie was a partially welcome suitor, and that, I say, is baloney. Baloney! In 2002, the American writer Susan Vreeland published a novel. This novel is written through a feminist lens. Quote, this this is a passage from uh, the book. I stepped up two steps and took my usual seat opposite Agostino Tassi, my father's friend and collaborator, my rapist. His black hair and beard were overgrown and wild. His face more handsome than he deserves, had the color and hardness of a bronze sculpture. The 2018 John McCullough novel, Blood, Water, Paint, was of a similar nature. Here's a passage from this. The woman in the bath is no exalted doll. 
She is all light and terror, the Susanna I finally summoned from stories, from first fire, and finally, from paint mixed with my own sweat. Many academics vehemently object to the two-dimensional portrayal of Artemisia. The narrative perpetuated is one of a victim exacting her revenge through her artwork. As more and more personal history begins to emerge, a more complex picture emerges. She should be appreciated for all the elements of her life. She was more than the sexual violation she endured. She was a mother with professional ambition and full of erotic passion. She knew that... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It it definitely takes away uh, her value when when they describe her in that one light where it's like she was way more... Like she was multidimensional. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that... It's revisionist history. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. She, She knew that being a woman gave her a rare perspective and absolute authority on certain artistic subjects. Consider that the pieces were commissioned... They were all superbly popular subjects amongst painters of the time, and she had no choice in the subjects. If they say you're painting this, you're going to paint this. And it is with her perspective that made her stand out. It wasn't that she was choosing these pieces. It was people were coming to her saying, I bet you could paint the crap out of this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. In 2018... A painting of David sitting next to Goliath's severed head for a long time had been attributed to Baroque artist Giovanni Francesco Gueri. It was sold at auction to an art collector in Munich for $119,000. But after forensic examination, Artemisia's signature was discovered on the hilt of David's sword. And based on recent auction history, that work is now worth several million. As it so, should be. Yes. Yeah, her, va- her work is finally getting the value that mm-hmm. it is deserved. Mm-hmm. Leticia Trevis, curator at the National Gallery, said Artemisia's face, quote, had been read into every heroine she ever painted. I don't think she's every Judith or Susanna. It was the depiction of female bodies not the replication of her own face that most strongly expresses her understanding of what it's like to be a woman. Quote, the way she portrays the female body is very naturalistic, more so than her father's. This is someone who really knows the hang of a woman's breast, who has a real sense of how a woman's body behaves. Consider all of those paintings where (laughs) they have like those just ridiculous little boobs that are just, no one has ever in the history of the world had boobs like that. <laughs> and you're like, this looks ridiculous. Yeah. A 1968 essay by art historian R. Ward Bissell described the, quote, uncompromising sensuality in the nude depicted in Cleopatra that was painted in 1611-1612. Saying the physique is, quote, almost animalistic. The representation of the female body in Danae, which was painted in 1612, which is now at the St. Louis Art Museum, the creases around the armpits and the swells in the stomach indicated an awareness of how a woman's flesh settles. I can almost imagine what the what it looks like, and it's just it, it just seems yeah so natural, mm-hmm. like just realistic, like mm-hmm. um, you not know, not a porcelain doll. Yeah, and and also not this like figment of someone's imagination. Like this is very much like based on mm-hmm. the uh, 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 a woman's anatomy. Exactly, just like how yeah. women actually, actually look. look. <laughs> 
Orazio's Danae and the Shower of Gold, completed in the 1620s at the Getty now, has bed linen so realistic that you want to climb in them. But the princess's breasts are comically able to completely defy gravity. <laughs> like, literally, basically pointing to the sky. And you're like, who who looks like this? Fun are little, you just, what's happening? Fun little wicked, uh, <laughs> wicked, uh, <laughs> defying, uh, yep, reference. Yep. <laughs> Think I'll try defying gravity. Yeah, that song's about breasts. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's about unnaturally large breasts. <laughs> Depicted in paintings, yep. anyway. After I went to the Met to view her work, I went to the gift shop to see if there was anything that was available with reference to her in prominence, not just a little footnote. And to my disappointment, yet not surprise, there was nothing. For someone who was insanely sought after and crazily famous during this period in which she was painting, she has been essentially erased from the galleries. If you find yourself in NYC at the Met, Take a trip up the main stairs to the second floor, enter the European gallery right at the top of those stairs, head to gallery room 621 and have a gander at her work. It is well worth a peek. I'm going to leave you guys with this quote that is in reference to her. Quote, The pioneering painter survived a rape, but scholars are pushing against the idea that her work was defined by it and are celebrating her rich harnessing of motherhood, passion, and ambition. That's beautiful. and I had quite a time researching this one. And it, it makes me sad that, you know, for as many accomplishments as a woman could do... Uh, like, what else could, could she have done during that time? Her, achieve in a woman's life, rather. Um, it's unfortunate that it only takes one uh, incident that uh, negatively affects them to kind of shape the outlook of her... Shape uh, her narrative. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, that's just so frustrating when people are mul multidimensional. People have many layers to mm -hmm. them. Like, like that's the least interesting thing about her. <laughs> are complex, yeah. uh, you know, individuals. And mm -hmm. so to kind of make, yeah, shape her narrative around that is just... Um, it's a shame, yeah. really. I mean, no one is no one is one dimensional mm -hmm. enough where you could just describe them as um, based you on know. one singular event that happened when they're seventeen. You know, especially with someone like her, like it's just it's it's really kind of crazy. And I, I, you know, it's kind of uh, bringing me back to with Hilma off Clint that episode we did last season thinking about the gatekeeping that is in the art world where why is she not in the canon? Why is she not in the canon of greats? And it's because she's a woman. <laughs> Even though literally at the time, at the time, she was getting paid what all the others were getting paid. She was being commissioned by kings, by all kinds of people to come in and do these works for freaking Michelangelo's relatives. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the very fact that she was so skilled like that and famous in her time that she's being compared to the fame that Van Dyke had, you know, like that should be an indicator that there's something wrong in the way we're keeping the logs people oh yeah e easily yeah that's just <laughs> she should just... have more than one painting she's got a hundred and something like come on guys straight up and down it's just offensive to yeah. not consider um you know to not consider her or right. any woman uh you know in the artistic field or any field mm -hmm. as um equal yeah uh to 
you know, portray that story and, and or portray her story in that sort of light because, you know, why don't we do that for all men? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, you know, a lot of these artists uh they're glorified in their abuse and they have and mental illness and they must have caught so many like diseases yeah. like just sleeping around with the town and then we know them for their you know musical prowess right. or their ability to i don't know um you know just yeah. like achieve yeah we don't talk we don't talk badly about these men we don't even bring up these things that are really terrible it's, it's done in such a light that it's almost in jest whereas like a woman could get assaulted and then it's like well you know she did this because you yeah. know she she had yeah. that experience the only one reason time. she was really good at painting these scenes is because this happened to her and she and she was considered this like anomaly that there's she must be the only kind of woman who could ever do this kind of thing and then there's a bunch of of painters from this time that are women that all had to it's wild it's wild guys i went on a thing and i loved every I second went on of. a thing <laughs> and i enjoyed every second <laughs> it was a weird time for me but i loved it uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this episode we you know reminder we're taking our little breaky break but we might be back with a little mini sewed or something like that this will give you a good time to catch up on all, all our past episodes yeah that too um <laughs> everything that he just said and also thank you historians for tuning in again subscribe follow tell your dog walker come back this friday for an interview with miss south florida fair juliet valle in this interview, she shares why she's so passionate about organ donation, her new Christmas album, what she's learned about herself in pageants, um, what her dreams are, oh my gosh, she's amazing, and so much more. You can follow all of our super cool social media, guys. Instagram. At Women of Her Story Podcast. TikTok. At Women of Her Story. Twitter. At The Her Story Pod. Facebook women of her story <laughs> and you can visit our website at ofherstory.com exclamation point <laughs> until friday be safe stay healthy and show the world what you're made of happy holidays get your booster shots <laughs> and your vaccines wear a mask and don't be so mean bye, bye.